This is uh, Memorial Day weekend, weekend that we reflect on those who have given their lives for our nation. And uh, I think it's so important that we just take a moment and uh, think about them, uh, the losses. I know some of you have lost probably relatives over uh, the years in the wars and the things that have gone on, uh, touched your lives, friends that have been lost. I, I know for me they were individuals I knew that went to Vietnam that didn't come back. Uh, my wife's uncle died in World War I. Uh, so a number of you here have, I'm sure, felt the sting of, of the loss or uh, just the pain of someone coming back not in the same wholeness they were before they left. And yet it's because of, of that over the years and since this nation was founded that we do have the freedoms we have, that we can come to a place like this, many places they can't today, uh, I was just reading uh, on Facebook uh, the other day in Nigeria where I visited. It's one of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be today. And, uh, you know, you think of that in comparison to uh, the freedoms we have, and we have so much to be thankful for. So I want to just take a moment and uh, moment of silence, and then I'll pray and just just reflect back and thank God for those who are serving today for those whose families are serving in their home because in that they're serving those whose husbands or wives are gone. Uh, for anyone in, in uh, public office that serves us for our protection, whether it be police or uh, military or reserves, whatever, and uh, let's just take a moment to reflect on those, shall we? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the freedoms that we have. It's sad, Father, when we think of, of people who have gone off to war and not come back, or they've come back with injuries, whether physical or emotional. And Father, it hurts to think about them, and yet we do thank you for this freedoms that we have, help us to always not take them for granted, but realize the cost that is made and given on our behalf by those who serve for our protection, Father, whether at home or overseas. We pray, Father, that you would be with those families that have lost loved ones and have given that ultimate sacrifice in one way or another. Children who have last, lost dads or moms, or parents who have lost a son or a daughter, wives who have lost a husband, husbands who may have lost a wife. As, as the military changes, we realize that so do the individuals who are lost. For years ago, it would have just been men, but that's not probably the case today. And so we pray for them, Father. We pray that you would lift up those families and strengthen them and support them and help them to experience your love and your compassion and your goodness. It's a great sacrifice, and it's made for each and every one of us. Might we not take it for granted, Father? 
but take time to stop and reflect on the sacrifices that are made. Thank you, Father. And I pray, Father, today I would be remiss if I did not pray for those who are in office, that you would give them wisdom in terms of how to lead, how to react to others, how to interact within our nation, within our state. And as we're coming up on elections, Father, I pray that you would help us as a state and as a nation and as a community to make wise decisions in terms of those we choose for leadership, that you would be glorified, Father, that you would be honored, that your word would be upheld. Thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us so much and having so much compassion on us and giving guidance and direction to our lives and to our state and to our nation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn them back to Exodus chapter 20. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, raise your hands, and uh, we will certainly make sure that you get one so you can follow along. Uh, there are a couple, number of different verses I'll be turning to since we're only looking at one verse this morning. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And uh, we're talking about our mouths. What do we say? Uh, what, what comes forth from our speech? Uh, you can tell a lot about a person by... By their language, by what they say, as supposedly experts can uh, place us within a few miles of where we're born by our accents. I'm not sure how true that is. I remember when I went to college, I was in Southern California in Santa Barbara, and I don't know, a number of people asked me, are you from the South? And uh, I said, Southern Oregon. And uh, so we kind of straightened that out a little bit. But, you know, we, we can place people where they're from, by their accents. You know that. Uh, I had a friend in college. He was from Maine. And I don't know what happened to the people in Maine because they lost the word R. Or, I mean, the letter R. They're not the whole word, just the letter. And, and uh, you would talk to him, and he'd say, what is your name? Well, I'm Marshall. Marshall. Uh, Marshall? Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He didn't, he didn't hear that R. We'd... We'd talk about Harvard. Harvard was close to where he was back there, and he'd talk about Harvard. He'd talk about going out in the yard to play. And I would like to have worked with Marshall a little bit to get his R's down. But, you know, if, if you were to speak to someone from England, you would say, oh, they have an English accent, or somebody from Australia, they have an Australian accent, or New Zealand, they have a, uh, that type of a, a New Zealand type of accent. Uh, when I was in Nigeria, they certainly had an accent that was different than mine, and it was English. But if you talk to an English person uh, from England and you said, boy, you have that English accent, they would probably say, no, I don't. We can tell you're from America because you have that accent. And even in America, they're spread all over. You go down south and there are different accents and, and we can uh, place where people are from. I, uh, I've noticed this when I'm listening. If I'm listening to a talk show and somebody comes on and, and they speak, immediately I have this personification of what they look like. I get an idea of their age and, and gender and all kinds of things. Or, or we get on the phone, you get those calls, and you can immediately say, oh, they're from, you know, you get those, don't you? Uh, and, and you think, I, I know what that person's like. The sad thing is very often when we stereotype them, they aren't like our stereotype at all. But we tend to do that based on someone's language, their vocabulary. Um, 
And I say that to simply say our vocabulary says a lot about our spiritual walk too. It says a lot about our relationship with Jesus Christ. When people hear you talk, they may uh, either come to the conclusion you must be a Christian or you must not be a Christian because of the language you use. Uh, the Bible actually says quite a bit about language, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the most pointed statements is here in Exodus chapter 7, or chapter 20, verse 7, and uh, it's the third commandment. Listen to what it says. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. We looked at uh, the first two commandments. The first one has to do um, with the idea of worshiping the right God. You shall have no other gods before me. You aren't to create anything else that would be a God. The second one has to do with uh, not worshiping an incomplete God. Don't be worshiping idols. Don't be worshiping something that can't really care for you or meet your needs or doesn't really love you or is not the real God. But today we want to talk about uh, the use of the name, that's important too. How do we use God's name? Uh, I really believe the way you use God's name will determine whether you respect and honor him. And a lot of times uh, we have been so conditioned that we don't even realize that. Uh, we may not even realize how it's being used. It goes on Facebook. It goes on uh, text messages, uh, we, we don't even have to say it anymore. We've got a initial that we use now that, that is kind of a punctuation. Uh, sounds like a medication, OMG. You all know what that means? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you can't change that. That, you know, some people come along and say, well, gee, really could mean something else. Yeah, it could, but it doesn't. Not in anyone's mind. And so we go back and realize that we use those things kind of frivolously. So it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. I, I just want to look at the text here for a minute. And you know, when it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, name kind of identifies an individual or a thing. You understand that? Uh, so today, I think my parents, when they name me, probably just like the name Andrew. Andy, Andrew. That's who he is. I don't think they really cared that it means manly. They didn't know when I was a little infant if I was manly or not. That's, that's what it means. I have people say, well, I'm Andrew too. That's a great name. It's, it's done very well for me. But uh, if you were to say Andrew Cochran to somebody or Andy Cochran to somebody, most of you would have a vision that would come up in your mind, right? You would say, well, he's, he's a pastor at Brentwood Bible Fellowship. Uh, he has white hair. He has a beard. He's fairly tall. Uh, you may say some other things that would go in there. But uh, you get an image. In, in the Old Testament, uh, the name oftentimes dealt with a person's character. In fact, if I would say, what does Emmanuel mean? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That was one of the terms or names for Jesus Christ. He was to be called Emmanuel, 
God with us. Uh, Yahweh was a personal name of, of the God of Israel, and we talked about that, and, and the name of God. We talked about the fact that Elohim had to do with the strong one, the mighty one. We talked about the fact that Adonai had to do with the sovereign God. Uh, we talked about the fact that Yahweh comes from uh, those letters uh, that we see there, and then the vowel points are added because the Jews were so amazed at the holiness of God that they wouldn't even say his name. And and so they come from uh, the vowel points were added, uh, but basically it's, it's from those four letters, Y-H-W-E-H, in, in terms of the English, Y-H-W-H. And... Uh, at first, they didn't want to say the name. And, and God, when he said his name was, it's to be, I am that I am. It's the verb to be. And we went all through that when we went that, through that study. But uh, they took the bow points from Adonai. We talked about that, meaning Lord. And they put it with those letters. And it came up with Jehovah. Well, that's really not the name. Those are the vowel points. It's, it's blending those two names together. And then they went away and did, did away with that. And today we use the term Yahweh uh, more than we use Jehovah. But it's his name. And Yahweh may not be the true name. We don't know for sure. But you're not to use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Vain simply has to do with in an empty manner, frivolously, lightly, meaningless. A lot of ways we can do that. A lot of ways that we might use God's name in an improper way, and we're going to talk about that. But it says, you know, we see how serious God is. He says such an individual, and in his mind, it says, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Go back to Leviticus. Leviticus is the next book over if you're in Exodus. Go to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24. And we're going to see a, a situation where an individual cursed God. He used his name in a, in a negative way. And what happened to him is Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. And so I want to read it for you. And uh, we're not under the law today. We're under grace, thank goodness, uh, or we'd be in a lot of trouble in terms of a lot of the things we do. But listen to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, and then just keep your finger there because we're going to come back to Leviticus uh, in, in a few moments again. But in verse 10, it says, Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian, you remember that Israel was in slavery there in Egypt, and so there would be intermarriages that would take place or interrelationships. And so there was one, his dad was an Egyptian, his mom was an Israelite, but he was going out with Israel, uh, probably with his mother. And it says, Now the son of the Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the sons of Israel, and an Israelite woman's son, in other words, he was pure Israelite, or Israelite woman's son, and a man of Israel struggled with each other or actually the man of Israel was the, the actual uh, Israelite or Jewish individual. And they struggled. They had a fight. There was a conflict. And the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name, capital N-A-M-E, God's name, and cursed. The fight wasn't such a problem. But the fact that he used God's name wrong in an improper manner was, 
So they brought him to Moses. And now his mother's name was Shalomath, and she was a daughter of Dibri and of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. What are they supposed to do with this individual that used God's name in that way? And so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who cursed outside the camp. Let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and then let all of the congregation stone him. And you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of God will surely be put to death, and all of the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And like I said, I am so glad that we are not living under the law today because uh, the law was, was harsh for individuals. But to dishonor God in that way was followed up with a death penalty. And, and that was a very difficult thing. Today we might say, oh, it wasn't his fault. It was in the heat of the battle. They were in a fight and it, and it just slipped out. Or we might say in certain circumstances, he was driving a car, he was under the influence of drugs or under the influence of alcohol, he hurt somebody. It really wasn't his fault. He was under the influence. And a judge may say that. But the fact is, we're responsible for our actions. We're responsible for what we say. We're responsible for what we do. And and when you look at that, you begin to realize that God holds a person accountable for what he says and what he does. To use his name improperly is to demonstrate a lack of disrespect or a lack of honor or disrespect for the holy, righteous God. And so God takes it seriously. It's very evident. This is not what you're supposed to do. Well, let me, let me give you three ways very quickly that we use God's name in an improper manner. And one is the one that we most likely think of when we think of that, and that's just the idea of swearing. Uh, swearing using God's name. I, I'm sure that you hear people use God's name every day uh, in a frivolous manner. It, it may be as a punctuation mark on a sentence. You probably hear it if you go to the grocery store. You'll hear it if you're in a federal building. You'll hear it um, if you go to schools. You'll hear it in all kinds of different places because, you see, we've lost that understanding of the holiness of God and we've lost the importance of, of speaking of him in an, in an honorable way. Some of you may hear it a lot. Hopefully you don't hear it in your home, but it may be there. We, uh, we don't treat God with the respect that he really wants us to. I just wrote down a couple things. You can hear it on TV. You, in fact, you most likely will if you watch much TV. Somebody might just say in an exclamation, Oh, God, wasn't that something? Well, they're not speaking to God. They're making a statement. Or maybe they'll use, Jesus Christ, I'd sure like to do that again. See, people do those things. It's, it's thoughtless conversation. It uses God's name to punctuate a sentence. It's like a period or a comma or an exclamation point. I, my wife texts, but she texts verbally. Now, I, I, I do the thumb thing. Okay, I haven't gotten talking to my phone like that. But darling, she texts verbally. And she'll send me a text, and I'll be reading through, and, at the, and, and it'll say, period. 
Or it'll say exclamation point. I go, why did she say that? And then I realized she was putting a punctuation in the, in the uh, sentence, and it simply didn't pick it up. Um, I think sometimes swearing just becomes a, a habit using God's name in vain. Oh, God. OMG. It, it's just a pattern that we picked up, and, and it's sometimes hard to break habits. It really is, and, and yet uh, that's what God desires. There's, there's a second way. Number one, we use it uh, in a manner of swearing. We use it in, in terms of perjury. You take a, an oath and you say, I'll not do this. I'll swear on the Bible or I'll swear by God that I'll never do that. Uh, there's a picture or a statement back here in Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, verse 12. Let me read it to you. It says, you shall not steal or deal falsely nor lie to one another, and you shall not swear falsely by my name. You're not to take an oath by the name of God and, and not keep it. That's what it's really saying. So as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. I don't think we hear very many people trying to make an oath by the name of God today. It's not quite so common. I think it was probably more common when I was a young person than it is today to, to swear by the name of God. But, but going into a courtroom, uh, they have you come up and uh, do they still have you put your hand on the Bible and swear by the Bible? I will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and I swear by the Bible. I swear by God. You see, and to, to lie is then to break that oath. It's a very serious thing. Apparently, even our government still thinks that's an important thing, and so they hold a person accountable. Uh, Jesus spoke to this issue back in, in on the uh, mount when he was speaking the Sermon of the Mount, and back in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. It says, again, you have heard that the Ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. You make a vow to the Lord, you keep the vow. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. But I, and, and, uh, I, I, would, I would tell you today, don't, don't promise God that you'll do something that you're not going to keep. I, I remember as a young person, it was easy to make a, a, a statement of my commitment before the Lord in a uh, at a high school camp or a high school meeting or wherever. Maybe you'd go to special meetings and stand up. Man, I'm committed to anything God wants me to do. I'm going to serve God with my life. And uh, then later on, we'd fall away from that, and it wouldn't be so important anymore. But what it says here is I'm not to make a vow to God that I'm not going to keep. Let me go back to verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make a false vow but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no vow at all. Don't make this vow either by heaven, for that's the throne of God. You're really making it by God. If you say, well, I pledge by heaven, or by the earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. You shall make an oath, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair, white or black, you're still saying it's by the relationship with God. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. What's that saying? 
is I need to be honest in my statements. Don't, do, don't say I'm going to do something and not do it. If I say yes, I'm going to do it, then I need to fulfill that promise. If I say no, then I go along and, and I've already said no. But let your word be the statement of what you'll do or not do. Don't make a vow based on God or based on the Bible or whatever if you're not going to keep it. So we, we can misuse the Lord's name in a, in a frivolous manner, either by swearing or by making a vow and not keeping it, saying we'll do something and, and not doing what we say we're going to do. And the third way is very similar to number two, but it takes it a step further. And it's that I take the name of Jesus Christ and then I do not live in such a way that glorifies him. Uh, what are we called today if we're followers of Jesus Christ? Anybody know what we're called? Christians. Christians. So if I tell someone I'm a Christian, I'm saying I'm a Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, a Christian. I take the name of Jesus Christ to my life. Now, if, if I say I'm a Christian and I don't do what I say I'm going to do, or if I don't live up to that, or my life is lived in such a manner that it defames God, it isn't pleasing or honoring unto him, in that, at that point, I'm taking the name of the Lord in vain. I remember uh, years ago when I was in construction, a general contractor, and we like to, we like to hire Christians, and we like to hire people that were in our church if possible, and I remember we had a man there that uh, didn't have a job. He was having trouble getting a job, and so we took him on, and we trained him to become a Finnish man. And, and the sad thing was, he, he was very vocal about his faith, but the sad thing was his work wasn't too good. You really had to keep an eye on whether the door frames were straight and whether the doors would swing in a proper manner and whether the window sills were right, and did he do the things that we would taught him to do in terms of Finnish work? And on top of that, he was slow. And thirdly, he was late. You'd go in there at 10, 11 o'clock, and he still wouldn't be there. And then he'd come in, and he was so happy. Well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. This is a good day. We're trying to get a house finished. It was costing us for uh, interest on the loan that we had, the, the, uh, the loan to build the house. And he'd come in, and we'd say, well, where have you been? You need to be here at like 8 o'clock and get started like the rest of the subs. And and get going, oh, I, I've been over at the church. I was in talking to the pastor. We've been having such a great morning. And, and I'll let you know this. Uh, we said, well, that, that's wonderful, but you've got a job to do. Well, it's okay because I was over there. We're all Christians. You see, it isn't okay. And uh, I, I would say, I, I have people come in and see me, but if, if you aren't released from your employer or you're coming in and taking away from your employer, that's not right. We'll make time outside of that. But it's the idea that we live a life that honors the Lord. It says we are to work as unto the Lord. And, and when we work as unto him, then it, it is reflected in our testimony before others. Uh, we like to buy and purchase from Christians as much as possible and support them. But I think sometimes Christians expect all other Christians to just support them. How many of you remember the uh, Christian Yellow Pages? Oh, a few of you. 
Come on, they aren't, I'm not that old. There were Christian yellow pages around. And they'd have these people in there, and they'd have the ichthus, the fish, and they would have the cross, and we're Christians. And I think so often they just used that because it was a good way of advertising. They had this whole group of people that were going to purchase things from them. And I've known of people in the church that are some of the highest. They, are, they cost more than almost anybody else in the community. And yet they think all Christians should be there to support them. You know, you, you, why didn't they come and buy from me? Well, because it wasn't a, a profitable deal. So as Christians in our business, in our lives, how we live, we represent Jesus Christ. And that goes with the fact that we say we are Christians. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't misuse it. Um, what causes us to take God's name in vain? Let me give you just some things quickly, and I'm, I'm going to deal more with swearing because that's where we are in terms of that. I think one is just ignorance. We don't understand it's wrong. We don't understand that there's a problem. We've been in a community where everybody did it. I, I, I know that when military go out into another country, oftentimes their language isn't the best. And if somebody learns their English from military individuals, they kind of have some spicy language at times. Because that's what they've heard. And, and it's just ignorance. It's not something they know is right or wrong. I think as children, that's often the case. Darlene has a, a group of first graders. Uh, she teaches first grade class in a public school. And those little kids come in, and the first week, their language isn't always the best. They're using the Lord's name in vain. They're using other foul language. And, and I will tell you today, I don't like foul language. I don't think it says a whole lot about our character. But it's not as bad as using God's name in vain. Uh, that bothers me, and that bothers Darlene. And so these kids come in, and they're using the Lord's name in vain and a few other uh, foul words, some F-bombs or whatever they're dropping. And, and she says, in this classroom, we don't do that. Now, in your home, you may do that. Your parents may do that, and you may do that when you go home, but this is my classroom. And she said, that offends me when you use the name of my God in vain. And I don't want to hear that. And boy, after those first week, those kids learn real quick what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And they come with other bad words. He said a bad word. What do you say? Stupid. Well, there's, a, there's those words out there that <coughs> they've, they've been taught are bad. But uh, sometimes we learn in our homes things that don't honor God. Another one is peer usage. Everybody does it. Kids go out, and if everybody they're hanging out with is swearing, it's certainly easy to pick that up. I realized how easy that was when I was in the service, and I wasn't around very many Christians. And every once in a while, I'd hear kind of a foul word come out of my mouth. And I, Where did that come from? Well, the Bible says it comes from my heart because I've taken that in. And we have to be very careful of that. Uh, we need to be aware of the gravity of, of the sin of these things. God said it's worthy of, of death, even, even when we're ignorant. The Lord's name is used out of ignorance, uh, used as our culture uses it. But uh, our language needs to honor uh, the holy, sinless God, the creator of the universe. I think uh, another reason, besides being ignorant, that people use the Lord's name in vain, is just lack of self-control. Man, they have anger, they've got bitterness, things are going on in their life, and phew, just comes out. That's just who they are. 
It's, it's not that profanity is the rule in their lives. It's, it's the exception. But, you know, you, you get it. This, back in James, James is, is a great book in terms of practical theology and how to live. And in James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, listen to what it says about this. It says, Every species of birds, of reptiles, the creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. So all kinds of animals are tamed. But then listen to verse 8. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison. It is so destructive. It, uh, it hurts God, it hurts others when we don't control our speech and what we say and what we do. And so it comes back to understanding what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable before the Lord, what... What does he think is acceptable and then living according to that? Uh, the way you overcome it, we find it back in Luke chapter 6 in verse 45. Luke 6, 45. It says, a good man out of good treasure or the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. In other words, his heart's right. What comes out is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth that which is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. If there's sin in the heart, then there's probably going to be sin in the speech. And when the, uh, the pressure's on, when you're going through struggles, the easiest place for you to let off steam is through the mouth. It, it's through what you say. I, I uh, think of newborns. So we've had newborns here in the church recently and in the family. And you know, you get up in the middle of the night I'm not saying that this is what either of you do, okay? You get up in the middle of the night, and you're going to that baby, and on the way, you're kind of blurry-eyed, and you kick the door jam. And something proceeds forth from your mouth. And you go, where did that come from? Well, it was in your heart. It was there. It just had the opportunity to come out. And, and we need to understand that. Um, Lord, how, how do I change that? Well, the issue is I've got to change my heart. I, I, I've got to change the things I'm thinking. I, I'll, I'll give it another one. This is for Paco. You're out golfing and you miss a shot. And then you miss another one and another one and you're beginning to, you know, you can just feel the temperature rising and you're, you're angry and finally you duff one and boy, out it comes. And you go, and the guys you're golfing with look and say, wow, I didn't think you spoke like that. But it's easy to do. I, I had a friend that used to golf with us, and when he would really blow it and, and mess up, he, he didn't do that. He simply said, oh, Alice. Used Alice's name in vain. I told him that was my mother, and I wish he'd quit it. But you see, there are all kinds of things that cause those things to come out. It depends on what's in our heart, what's down there. I, I heard about one golfer, a uh, pastor was out golfing, and, and he was hitting the ball, and his, his golfing partner uh, was hitting it along with him, and he said, uh, what do you do? What do you say when you miss a, a, a shot? What, what do you say when you begin to get frustrated? And he says, oh, I just be sinned to say very emphatically the names of people in my church. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that, Okay. 
But you, uh, you think about that. There are those things that, that come out. I, I think another thing you need to do besides uh, evaluating your heart and checking out where it is, you take those first two commands very seriously. You shall have no other God before me. When you put God first, it begins to take part here. You shall not put anything else before him. You shall not have a graven image. And, and I don't think you're going to go out and make a graven image, but it may be your job. It may be your car, it may be your home, it may be your family. And God's not there where he's supposed to be. And so we need to go back and look at that. And, and we immerse ourselves in spiritual things. I, I think it's important that we're reading or listening to the Bible. I appreciate it when I hear about people reading and listening to the Bible. Not reading, but listening to the Bible on the way to work. When they're commuting, because they can, they can put in the Bible and they listen to it, and there it is. Or listening to spiritual books that encourage and, and support us. Immerse yourself in those things that, that glorify and honor God. And uh, listen to Christian music. Listen to Caleb and, and some of those things. Don't listen to the things that continue to make your, your life, you critical and, and, and cause an issue. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, it speaks to the fact that, that we are to speak for God. And, and I want to read this for you. Ephesians 5, 4. It says, There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. No foul language, no filthy jokes or lewd language but only that which honors God, giving thanks to God for the things he's done, taking time just to stop and say, wow, what did God do for me today? You know, we can see all kinds of things, but we miss them because we're just traveling through life so quickly that we miss out on the things that God has done for us. And, and so we need to change the heart. And there's another thing that, that we do that causes us to do that, and that's just simple rebellion towards God. You know, I, I'm going to do my own thing and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I don't care who God is and what he thinks. We just dishonor God because we're rebellious to the commands and we say, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I, I think as Christians, we need to be deeply aware of who God is and his name. And I remember uh, the songs that I grew up with and we used to sing Take the name of Jesus with you. Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. You know, and we were continually going back in those songs to look at who God was and the, and the beauty of his name and what they meant and, and, and what it meant to us. Jesus, 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 just something about that name. You know, how often do we drive in our cars and just think about those kinds of songs. Those ones that just focus on the name of Jesus Christ or they focus on the person of God and, and bring us in tune with who he is. And yet there are others that when they use the name of the Lord feel absolutely no remorse. They are confirmed unbelievers and they don't care about God. I'm not afraid of God. I'm, I, I'm my own boss. He's not. I, uh, I read one about a pastor. He was walking down the streets and he saw a man that he, he, he knew. He'd met him before, but it had been a long time. And that man stopped and looked at him. He said, 
wow, where, do the hell do, where in the hell do I know you from? The pastor looked at him. He says, I don't know. Where in the hell have you been? And, uh, you know, what are we saying? What does our language say? Some stop swearing simply because of the people they're around. I don't know. I, I hope that in your job, when someone uses a foul term and they use the Lord's name in vain, they'll know you well enough to say, oh, I'm sorry. Doesn't mean they quit necessarily, but I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I uh, played golf. It was years ago, and I was, I was playing. I'd gone with a, a friend, and we were put together with another two individuals. It was a foursome now. And we didn't know the two very well. And, and this one guy, I mean, everything that came out of his mouth uh, was a problem. And uh, foul, you, using the Lord's name in vain. And I think it was about the seventh hole. He said, and what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he just stopped and looked at me. Do you know what? His vocabulary changed immediately. He didn't use any more of that language. I felt sorry for him because he lost about half of his vocabulary. It's hard to talk like that when you have been using that. Some people, when they become Christians, that's, that's what happens. I would just tell you today that God is, is honored when we don't use his name in a disrespectful manner, in a frivolous, meaningless way. In fact, he desires we don't do that because it's dishonoring to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it in here as the third of the Ten Commandments. For a person who uses the Lord's name in vain, there's, there's good news and bad news. The bad news for that person is that someday he's going to stand before the Lord. If he's, a, if he's a Christian, he's going to stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat Judgment, where our works are evaluated. If he's a non-Christian, he's going to stand before the Lord at the white throne judgment at the end of the age. And he's going to be held accountable for his actions as well as his words. What are we going to say at that point? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Each and every one of us has a loving, caring, compassionate God who forgives completely. And he cares about us. And he doesn't hold those things as we come before him. He doesn't hold them against us. They are not limiting whether we go to heaven or whether we don't go to heaven. But our language needs to change. Jesus is no longer the favorite curse word. It's the praise. Praise the name of Jesus. I just, I just want to finish this morning by making a statement to you. We've been talking about kind of a negative issue. But the Lord of the universe, I want you to know this, is head over heels in love with you. He doesn't use your name in vain. He cares about each and every one of you so much. And we don't deserve his love, we don't deserve his forgiveness, but he gives it to us anyway. And doesn't that make you want to offer a heart that's pure before him? That should be our desire. To honor God with our actions, with our speech, with the way we use his name. In Psalms 8, 9, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, 
For some people, this is an issue. For others, it isn't. We should always want to use your name, Father, in a positive way, in a a way that honors you and glorifies you, that doesn't defame your name, that doesn't defame who you are. Our lives should be lived in such a way, if we're Christians, that it pleases you and honors you. (laughs) If people look at us and say, you're a Christian? We have to look at how we're using the name of Jesus Christ because our life is not reflecting him in the way it should. Father, touch our hearts, change our hearts. That's where it says our language comes from. Touch our minds. Might we be transformed, as the Bible says, don't be transformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Father, help that to be a reality with us. And I don't know where everyone is here. Maybe they struggle with this issue, and maybe they don't. A lot of them probably don't, Father, and I know that, and you know that. But, Father, help us to always reflect on how our lives honor you and how our speech honors you and to see that you're glorified through us and that we are a witness and a testimony to others. The Bible says that we're ambassadors. We're your spokesmen here. And so, Father, help us to be good spokesmen, worthy spokesmen. Thank you, Father. I pray for each individual here today. I pray that you might bless them as they go away from here, that they might just have a wonderful week, Father, and in loving you and serving you and being used by you in whatever capacity they serve you or wherever they are. Protect them, Father. Keep them safe. Father, for tonight, we just pray for a great time at our movie. I pray that there would be people who would come and join us. We want to do this for our community. We want to give something to them, and hopefully some of them would come back and be with us. And so, Father, we just ask for your blessing on this evening. Praise you, Father, for your goodness. You are an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.